0: John chapter 13 this morning, we're going to uh, look at the first 15 verses in John chapter 13. John 13, 1 through 15. I'm um, going to just bear noting, and John alluded to it in his prayer during the call to worship, um, this last week uh, the landmark Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, which is uh, an important event in the history of our, in our country. Um, this is primarily something that has been politicized dramatically, but is primarily one uh, that we need to, as Christians, take note of because of the reality that it is a direct violation of what God has commanded us in his word um, to, not, to not murder. Um, it is first and foremost a moral issue, not in first and foremost a, a political one. Um, and so we as people can celebrate the mercy of God shown to us as as a nation this this day um, and rejoice with great thanksgiving that the stream that the that the hearts of kings are like streams of water in the hands of our of our God and that he saw fit to show us mercy despite the fact that for the last 50 years we have displayed as a culture that we do not in any way deserve it. Um, And so we also have to acknowledge as a group of people our culpability, especially as Christians, our culpability in the reality that we've turned a blind eye to a a degrading sexual ethic in our culture. Um, And we as Christians need to confess and repent of the reality that we bear some culpability in the reality of what's transpired over the course of the last, last 50 years in our culture. And then also, as Christians, we need to take responsibility. We need to take responsibility for the reality, men. We need to take responsibility for our homes, um, women. We need to take responsibility to serve and submit to our husbands, um, families. We need to take responsibility to 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 serve and honor the Lord with our household. We need to take responsibility to care for people who have been marginalized, who have been become the victims of of a heinous uh, a heinous set of laws and the books that have allowed for again the countless murder or the murder of many in our in our society so this day i want to rejoice together that this has happened but also acknowledge solemnly that we have a a part to play in this and that moving forward we as people as god's people need to continue to oppose things that that oppose what god has told us in in his word let's go to john 13 together and consider what has been said here by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle John. A relatively familiar passage. You're going to remember this uh, as we start reading it this morning. Um, one that has become or even slipped its way into our cultural vernacular just because of the, the pervasiveness of what Jesus does and says here in John chapter 13. So let me read this to get, for, for us together this morning. John 13, 1 through 15. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, resumed his place, said he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Again, this is a a familiar passage of Scripture to us and the everyday reality of the world we live in is when someone serves someone else, sometimes we talk about or use the metaphor of feet washing. That happens inside and outside of the church. Washing someone's feet is associated with serving others. And this is one of, really one of the most amazing passages in Scripture. Um, or in John's gospel, and because of the reality of the posture that Jesus takes here. Jesus performs signs and wonders, and we see those laid out for us throughout the gospel of John. But now here in this text, we see a level of humility that Jesus takes upon himself. He takes on the form of a servant. This is the everlasting uh, agency of all of creation, the one who uh, stood behind God's word, let there be light, and there was light. The one who stood behind all of creation, everything that is in existence exists because of the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus Christ, this one, washes feet. He washes the feet of his disciples here. Uh, This is, it's baffling, honestly, If if we begin to think about Jesus for who he really is. If we begin to think about how expansive the universe is and that he stands behind all of creation. The reality that he stood in a room, got down on his knees, and washed the feet of 12 men in 2,000 years ago. Is is baffling. As we continue through John's Gospel, we're into this part of John's Gospel now. There's a lot of instruction that leads up to to uh, to Jesus's crucial trial and crucifixion. There's a lot of instruction. There's going to be a lot of words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. A lot of prayers that Jesus prays here over the course of the next several chapters. There's not a lot more action that happens. He's in the upper room, he's with his disciples, and he is giving us, or John, the Apostle John, who was in that upper room with Jesus, is giving us a glimpse of what transpired in Jesus' final hours. Really important. And so, as we've moved through John's gospel, we've seen this growing hostility towards Jesus for all of the things that he's said and the things that he's done. There's this growing hostility from the religious leadership to take Jesus out. And now they have even planned in their hearts to kill him, to murder him. And so as we, but Jesus continues to come at them with the truth. He continues to bring them or call them to repentance and faith that they might believe and be saved uh, from their sin. As we've moved through John's gospel, and this has become my prayer as we've explored all of these chapters together so far. And as we've moved through, I would my prayers that we really see uh the inseparability of uh the what we say that we believe and the truth of who Jesus is and how we live, how all of those things go together and they cannot be separated. That we would see just who Jesus is and the deep and abiding Unchangeable implications that that has for for our lives. The question we must ask ourselves regularly, as we as we consider at any time that you sit down and read your Bible, the question that we have to continually ask ourselves as people is: Can we go on living uh, knowing what we know about who Jesus is? Can we go on living knowing what we know that God has communicated to us in His Word? And in some instances, we can genuinely say, I'm following Jesus with my life in this area. And other instances really need to be looked at under the microscope. Is who Jesus is informing everything that you are saying and doing? Now, none of us in this room can say say yes, but the reality is as we move through this life, we continue to ask ourselves and we continue to ask the Holy Spirit to sanctify us to make us more like Jesus to understand the implications that his life and his words have on everything that we say and do as people you remember that the point of John's gospel is to share who Jesus is John will say this at the end of the at the end of the gospel to share with us who Jesus is and what he did so that for the purpose that we might believe And tied up in that word believe is not just believe and some mental assent, but to actually believe in such a way that we couldn't help but live in light of all of the implications that it has for us. So we can't hit, unhitch. We like to do this. We like to to unhitch what we say that we believe from how we live. Um, This is what we would consider hypocrisy. People in our world like to point out hypocrisy. They like to point out inconsistencies. The reality is that as sinful people who still inhabit sinful flesh, we realize that we are at some level always hypocrites, this side of glory. The the thing that people don't like in the world that we live in isn't a hypocrite, but a hypocrite who doesn't admit that they're a hypocrite. They don't like the reality that we might say that we aspire to live lives of holiness and we will in fact miss the mark. They don't like people who say who look, who apparently on the external miss the mark uh, and are unwilling to admit it. So the truth is though we can look at this at this text and understand exactly how we should live as Christians. We can look at this text and begin to unpack what Jesus intends for us in our day-to-day lives as believers. We want to, again, we want to pretend that we can sort of unhitch living from belief. But our understanding of belief in John's gospel includes all of life. Not just a set of facts or values that we aspire to or can think about conceptually, but but belief in Jesus means that there is nothing in your life that isn't fully absorbed by the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so that's what this passage is about. So here's the idea. If there are practical implications of who Jesus is and what he said for our lives, then the immediate application that Jesus gives us in this passage uh is that those who have been washed by Jesus wash the feet of one another. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking what that means. But this is the this is the the idea that I want you to take away this morning. Those who have been washed by Jesus wash the feet of one another. In order to be a Christian. And you cannot be a Christian without being washed clean of your sin. There's only one way that that happens. There's only one way. There are not multiple ways. There is only one way that that can happen. Uh, And that happens when you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and walk in his ways. We must continually, though, however, be washed as we walk through this world. Again, there are many things in this world that are sinful, that we come in contact with every day single day that because we inhabit sinful flesh, we are inclined to or we're pulled towards, we're drawn towards those things and then we find ourselves uh, needing a spot check. needing our feet to be washed in through the process of what we will call sanctification. We'll talk about that in a minute. So those who have been washed by Jesus wash the feet of one another. That's the implication of the passage. and for us as Christians, That is what it means first and foremost to live as those who believe in Jesus and understand and seek to live by all that he says and does. When you're in Christ, you serve others as Christ served you. Now, because this is a relatively familiar passage, I want to draw out a couple of ideas here that may not be on the surface. So we see Jesus do this action to his disciples, but What's at the heart of what's going on, um, and I think it's a little more specific than sometimes we come to, because, like I said at the beginning of our time, we think to ourselves, um, we think to ourselves, when I serve people, I wash their feet. But Jesus had a very, a very specific application in mind when He commands His disciples to wash the feet of one another. So here, let's draw these out. Let's draw these ideas out together and the first idea this morning that I want you to see is just our need, the, these washings that Jesus is talking about. our need for a one-time ongoing or a one-time washing and an ongoing washing. two different kinds of washing that Jesus talks about. Consider uh, j- just look at this text look at the interaction between Peter and Jesus here beginning in verse 8, or excuse me, in verse 6. No, verse 8. So Jesus, let go back though. He came to Simon Peter. So Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Simon Peter in verse 6. like, do you wash my feet, Peter asks him. And Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. And then Peter says it. Again, Peter is always kind of the stand-in for everybody in the room. They're all thinking it, but they're like, what is Jesus doing? I don't know. Peter's always the one who just blurts it out. He blurts it out here. You shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. And so this understanding, or what Peter says here, represents sort of a surface-level understanding of what Jesus is doing. Jesus, like a common servant, took out his outer garment and uh, was getting ready to wash the stinky feet of Peter. You'll remember just a chapter earlier we talked about the the foot the 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 foot washing the action of foot washing because Mary, um, the sister of Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead, Mary washed the feet of Jesus. And that, remember that was at the beginning of chapter twelve as an extravagant act. Um, she uses a very costly perfume and it costs nearly a year's worth of earnings. And when Judas makes the comment, he says, it should have been sold and the money should have been used to care for the poor. Jesus rebukes Judas because Jesus is worthy of such an extravagant act. Now think about that, that passage and then think about how Peter is receiving this. Jesus is worthy of this extravagant act and yet he is now at my feet preparing to wash my feet. And all of these things are flying through Peter's head and he just says it. You shall never wash my feet. And although Mary's foot washing was highly worshipful act because of the cost to her personally, her basic foot washing action is not an uncommon one. That a woman or a servant in the house that you entered would wash the feet of the guests coming in. But now Jesus, again, is taking on that role himself. And that's that represents Peter's objection. In verse 7, Jesus says, you're, you don't, you're not going to understand what I'm about to do. Later on, you'll get it. Um, but of course Peter just blows right through that stop sign and is about to get t-boned with some truth here Um, if I do not wash you you have no share with me Jesus answers him in verse 8 you shall never wash my feet if I do not wash you you have no share with me. Now, now, I think it's clear that Jesus isn't just talking about foot washing now. I think Peter picks up. I think he I think he gets the clue. I think that he gets the clue. Now, notice that Peter says at the beginning of verse 8, "You shall never wash my feet." And Jesus answers, "Not if I do not wash your feet." He says, "If I do not wash you." That's Pointed language. If I do not wash you, so what does it mean to be washed by Jesus? Have you been washed by Jesus? Jesus now is talking about something else, and he's going to actually go down in the passage, and you're going to see. Um, in verse ten, the one who has bathed does not need to wash. Now he's talking about feet, except for his feet, but is completely clean. But in verse 8 if I do not wash you Jesus is talking about this one time washing not the ongoing one the one time washing so Jesus isn't physically here in this moment but we must be washed by Jesus this is the this is the salvation component of Christianity you cannot be a Christian and not be washed by Jesus. There's only one way to be washed by, or to to become a Christian. And that's to be washed by Jesus. There's only one way to have the forgiveness of sin, to be made right before God, to be set apart before Him, and that is to be washed by Jesus. Now, this isn't in a physical sense, um, like what Jesus was doing with Peter and the disciples, but this is a this is a picture. Jesus is painting a picture in a spiritual sense. We need to be washed clean of sin. So the Apostle Paul reminds the church in Corinth um, what happened to them when Jesus came to them or when they came to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, the Apostle Paul writes, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so in that, if you look at that on the screen, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. The way that that's set up is to show us what it means to be washed. That's not a list. The big idea is at the front end. You were washed. How was I washed? Well, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God. You were washed, that is to say, you were sanctified and justified. You were washed, and in that washing, you were sanctified and justified. So those words might not be common words that we use in our everyday speech, but to be sanctified is to be made holy, is to be set apart for a purpose. To be justified is to be forgiven and to be made right with God. This is a legal action, a legal declaration. Declaration. A legal declaration. You are forgiven of your sin, and now you are set right before God. So you're set apart, and you're forgiven, and you're made right. This is what the washing that Jesus does for us. And this comes through his sacrifice. We are washed with his blood, and that washing makes us holy, sets us apart, and forgives us of our sin and it makes us right with God that's what we learn in 1 Corinthians 6:11 and that's all embedded in what Peter and what Jesus says to Peter those who have been washed by Jesus then this is the interesting part because what Jesus says in verse 8 if I do not wash you you have no share with me what's the share So if I'm washed by Jesus, that means I'm made holy, that means I'm made right with God, and that my sins are forgiven. But then what's this share language? What's this share language that Jesus uses? The New Testament unpacks this for us. What is our share with Jesus is those who have been washed. Those who have been washed by Jesus, their share is that they are joined with Christ, that they're united with him, that they're united with him in every way and that they will never for all of eternity be torn away from that union. Romans 6, 5 says, For we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Additionally, those who have been washed by Jesus, their share with him, means that they have been adopted into God's family as God's children. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born into the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And part of the share also is that we become inheritors of eternal life, inheritors of eternal life with Jesus, and that we are sealed then by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 13 and 14. In you, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Jesus says, if I do not wash you, if I do not set you apart, if I do not make you right before God, if I do not forgive you of your sins, then you have no share in me. You are not adopted as a son or daughter of God. You are not sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as the inheritor of eternal life. And you are not united with me. So Jesus must wash us so that we are set apart, so that we are made right with God, so that our sins are forgiven, so that we receive those benefits, the benefits of adoption, the benefits of union with Christ, and the benefits of eternal life in him. That's all okay, so that's all great. That's a data dump this morning. Like that's a ton of information, but these are the mechanics of what Jesus is talking about. This is under the surface and needs to be understood by us. What does it mean that Jesus washes us? What well, it means all of those things. What is the washing secure for us? it, it secures our our adoption, our union, and our eternal life. And you might say, well, that's great, I, on paper that looks really good, and I'm excited about the fact that I think that that's true, but what if I don't feel like any of that is true? I think Paul answers that as well in Romans eight sixteen. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's just one of the benefits of being washed by Jesus, that we are God's children. And so internally, the Holy Spirit, who is given to you by God the Father and Jesus, reminds you of those truths. He calls your mind to what Scripture says about you as one who has been washed by Jesus. Needless to say, Peter picks up on at least some of this. He's beginning to understand, I need to be washed by Jesus. And so he goes all in. So he falls off the other side of the horse. If he says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you should, you will have no share with me. And he's like, okay, well, here we go. Let's go all in then. Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And then Jesus says in verse 10, the one who bathed, who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So this washing is being set apart, being made right with God. This forgiveness of sins, then the benefits of this washing, the receiving of the union of Christ, the adoption as the children of God, the receiving of the Holy Spirit as the seal of your eternal life. That's once. That's just once. You don't got to do that every day. You don't want to wake up and take a shower. You got to. You just have. To have that once. It's a one-time washing, Jesus said. The washing that results in salvation and all of the benefits that come through it. That's been taken care of. You don't need another bath. But, but, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. The washing that results in the salvation has been taken care of. But we just need those feet. They need to be washed in an ongoing sense. They've been walking around in the dusty, dirty ground. And they need to be, need to be brushed up. So we who have believed in Jesus have received the forgiveness of sins and are made right with God and are set apart by God once and for all realities you don't need that reapplication. However, you do walk through a world that's sinful, that's warped, and so we need a regular, a quick foot wash. And the good news is that Jesus does both for us. It's not like you gotta figure out the salvation part and then Jesus will wash the feet. It's not like it's not like Jesus provides the salvation, and you gotta figure out the feet washing. He does both for us. He washes us once for all, and he continues to wash us. So we need the full bath one time, then we need some periodic spot checks, and Jesus does both. And so what we learn next is how he intends to perform those periodic spot checks, the feet washing component. How is he going to do that? And that's where we come to verses 12 through 15. So the first observation this morning is our need for the one-time washing and ongoing washing. And then we learn more about this ongoing washing. We learn about washing the feet of others. And now, again, here's the idea. We set it at the top. Those who have been washed by Jesus, this one-time washing, wash the feet of one another. Those who have the complete wash, they wash the feet of one another. This is the way in which Jesus is going to wash our feet and perform those periodic spot checks. He is going to use his church, his people to do it. Notice the end of verse 14. For I have given, uh, uh, yes, verse 14. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, here it is, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. So there's two things to pay attention to just in that little clause. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Two things to pay attention to. The first is ought to. So we don't we don't say the word ought very often. Again, here's another one of those words that we don't say just all the time. But the idea is important here. And our translation retains that if you're reading the ESB like I am, if you grabbed one of the Bibles off the back table, you're gonna see the ESB, you're gonna see that ought to. That's retained from older translations. Um ought to is sometimes in our world now used as a suggestion, sort of in modern day English. Why well, I ought to help my neighbor shovel his I ought to help my neighbor shovel his uh his driveway. But ought to language seems to imply some moral pressure, but actually no obligation. Like, oh, I feel feel bad for not doing that, but it'll be fine. But the original language, ought carries more strength. This idea here carries more strength. It's actually duty and obligation. Now, we, as people who don't like the idea of authority in our lives, in our culture, um, don't necessarily like to be obligated. We don't like to be told what to do. Those are kind of bad words. Duty, obligation. And many modern Christians think that there are no duties or obligations placed on their lives by the word of God. Just some suggestions. Like maybe you should live this way. But we're under grace, so we dismiss duty and obligation. They rewrite oughts to gets. Like, and they just kind of dumb down the language. They make it feel less... Less, uh, less over the top, less authoritative. But unfortunately, this is a mischaracterization of Jesus and his words. So we can't turn Jesus just into some life coach to give us some positive affirmations so that we can get through our day. That's not what Scripture. That's not the picture that Scripture gives us of Jesus. If that were Jesus, get to language would be just fine. But Jesus is King. Jesus is king. And by that very definition, he has the ability and the authority to say ought. He has the ability and the authority to say ought to. He is fully able to require us and obligate us, outline the duties and as his subjects for us. So if that sounds oppressive, and I think that sometimes in our culture we just say, well, that's oppressive. God, like Jesus, King Jesus is oppressing me. The solution isn't to dumb down the language of ought to. The solution is to better realize who is saying ought to. Who stands behind these words? You ought to means that we have been commissioned by the king for this task. To wash the feet of one another. The second idea here to pay attention to is the one another. Jesus says that you, uh, excuse me, you ought, also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus commands to wash, or the command to wash feet is aimed at one another. It's aim, who is that? Who Who is the one another? Well, I think we can draw from the context here. Jesus is speaking to a room of his disciples. He's speaking to a group, a specific group of people, people who have devoted their lives to following him, minus the one who is going to betray him, and who had already even betrayed him in his heart. So the room where Jesus washed the feet, it was his disciples. So we're to wash this feet of other followers of Jesus. That's the command. We are to serve other followers of Jesus as Jesus served them. And the application here then is for the church. For those who make up the community of faith, for those who identify with Jesus, for those who have been who have received the one-time washing and have identified with other believers in a community of faith. Paul refers to this as the household of faith in Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity to let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Paul says, drawing from Jesus' words and actions, that service is first aimed at other Christians. Does this mean that Christians should not serve unbelievers in their community at large, or the community outside of the church? And the answer is absolutely not. Of course we should do that. But Jesus does, in fact, tell us to prioritize his followers with our service. At the end of this chapter, in verse 35, um, Jesus is going to say, you know this well because we bring this up pretty often, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's how we treat one another within the church that reflects Jesus to the world and communicates to the world who we are. It's, it, it's concerning that in, in, in our modern world, we, we people who are members of and attenders of churches might be able to pull together and do an outreach event um, and even share the gospel with other people, but they have no relationships with those who they are doing that very event with. The first step to reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that he outlines it here in John chapter 13 is actually acting like disciples of Jesus. That means serving and loving one another within the church, washing their feet. And remember, we can't divorce what we believe from how we live. The life of the one who has received the full washing of Jesus puts that on display by washing other disciples' feet. Friends, you're obligated by King Jesus to serve your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and in the local church. We make a lot of excuses and, and sometimes we, we, we lack the ability, but it will not take away from the reality that Jesus commands it here. Jesus gives each and every one of us opportunities more than we can possibly see to serve each other with consistency and regularity. This is a one another command. It is aimed directly at the church you also ought to wash one another's feet just like he served us so it is our duty to serve one another so we must look around and see the needs of others our brothers and sisters in christ we must look around and see the spiritual needs and the needs the physical needs every need that those who within the local church have we can't look at them and say, well, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. Because if we do that, then we show that we have a flimsy understanding of the work of Jesus for us. We have a flimsy understanding of the work of Jesus for us. Friends, we must look at one another and say, to one another in this room, even this morning, and say, I am Called and commissioned by King Jesus to serve you in the way that He has served me. So, what does this mean in our daily lives? This is is a whole thing, like a whole implication for us, for our lives, and for our action. And maybe you're here this morning and you're realizing I've been here for a while and I don't know how to serve others by washing their feet like Jesus washed mine. And maybe even you feel like a bit of guilt. If you're like, oh man, I I really need to be acting on this. Um, I would take some inventory. Is that feeling from the Holy Spirit? Is it prompting you to take steps to begin responding to what you've received in the form of a command by King Jesus? Be careful here because if if you're indifferent to the needs of others in the body of Christ, it may be that you haven't received this one-time washing that Jesus is talking about. That's a hard thing to digest, but but the good news here, the good news is that you can be washed right now. You can receive the forgiveness of sins. You can be made right with God. You can be you can receive all of these benefits. The union, the being joined with Jesus Christ. You can receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. You can. You can become the inheritor of eternal life, sealed for forever. Through his death on the cross, Jesus offers you forgiveness of sin and right standing before God and the ability to live a life honoring to him. Friends, if you're just here this morning in this place and you're thinking that this is good enough or this is what it is, it's not. You must be washed by Jesus Christ. It's the only way to receive those benefits and to receive the things that are clearly promised. holiness right standing with God, forgiveness of sins. All that Jesus promises will be yours when you trust him with all of your life. So if you're here this morning and you're just indifferent to everyone in this room, it might be because you've never been washed in the first place. Consider that deeply. The second thing though, maybe you've had the full wash by Jesus, but you're living in need of having those stinky feet washed. Your feet are carrying a lot of sin and world on them. Paul says it in, in, in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may need to have your mind renewed. Maybe you have been formed by this world so much that you're, you are you you've become numb to the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. Your feet are carrying lots of sin, and you need to come to Jesus and have those feet touched up. Because the world has been slowly shaping you so that you can't see the sin clearly that's sticking to you. You don't care to serve other brothers and sisters in Christ because you've bought into some self-indulgent, self-centered, worldly philosophy. If that's you, the next step may be different than you think. This is the specific application of what Jesus tells us in this passage. Because part of this passage indicates to us that the way to get our feet washed is by one another. So you need to repent. God, I've been formed by this world. I've been conformed to the ways of the world and the sin. Uh, The sin has stained me and I I need to be free from it. But the way that Jesus addresses that dirt on our feet, the way that Jesus addresses that sin that sticks to us as we walk through the world, is through one another this is the indispensability of the local church the local church is indispensable when it comes to when it comes to understanding how we walk through this world we don't just guess and flip a coin and try and figure it out God has given us the local church for this specific purpose that we might have our feet washed and wash the feet of fellow believers. This process includes me. It's not just me and Jesus, but me and Jesus and those who Jesus has brought into your life in the church. So when Jesus tells us to wash the feet of one another, it's not just this undefined serving one another. This is where that specific application comes into play. Like we don't get to pick what it looks like. Jesus tells us what washing the feet of others looks like. Jesus expects that we are helping one another walk through this life and navigate a world that's saturated in sin. This life is dangerous for the follower of Jesus. Sin Satan in the world have you in their crosshairs all of the time. Washing the feet of one another looks like treating the wounds of one another when we fall into the pit and when we succumb to sin. You and I both need one another to be Christ's representatives to one another, addressing and washing the dusty, dirty, sin-saturating feet with the blood of Jesus. This is a great privilege that you and I get to have, that we get to operate as Christ's representatives to one another even now in this place. We cannot be indifferent to the walking through this life and being, being conformed to this world. We must be willing and able and prepared to point out and and to correct sin when one of us falls into it. And I want that to make sense because Jesus is first telling us to band together as his followers to navigate a depraved, broken, and dangerous world, ready and willing to apply the blood of Jesus to one another when that depraved, broken, dangerous world sinks its teeth into us and we willingly go along with it. In this feet washing business, Gets really serious really quickly, so maybe you're asking, like, is that okay?" So, like, Jesus's specific application here for us is that we would that we would call and address the sin in one another's lives and apply the blood of Jesus, apply the good news of what Jesus has done to us to to this situation with someone who is who's caught up in their own sin. And so, you're asking me, or you're asking the question, and hopefully, this will answer it. Um, like. What about smaller acts of service, though? Like, that seems like a pretty specific application. It's pretty hard-hitting, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready to to be Christ's representative to address the sin in the life of someone in this room. What about smaller acts of service? Or does that count? And the answer is, well, sure. But, like, taking a meal or or buying coffee or helping someone with their basement or when their car breaks down, those smaller acts of service towards one another are not unimportant. But what they are is relationship building. They're relationship building. They help others know that you have their interests in mind, not just your own. So write a friend an encouraging note or text message. Give them a phone call and ask how they're doing and actually listen. Meet the needs that people have on the surface. But know that those opportunities are designed to build trust with one another. Know that those de- those are designed to give us more opportunities. But they don't necessarily constitute the feet washing Jesus is talking about. And this is a delicate conversation. Because if someone approached you today that you don't really know. And, appro- and, and, and said, hey, I've been observing something in your life. Something sinful. Would you be inclined to listen to them if they had ignored you when you were in the middle of a time of suffering? The answer is probably not. If someone wanted to to point out how you acted sinfully towards them, but that person slandered you over and over and over again in the past, would you trust them with your spiritual good? Probably not. And so those small acts of kindness operate as trust builders. Serving people with small acts of kindness are relationship trust builders that lead to then. Feet washing as Christ's representative. Random acts of kindness should not be mistaken for feet washing. Rather, treating one another kindly with genuine love and honor will lead to feet washing. So, if you're wondering where to start so that you might live according to what King Jesus commands us to do, small acts of service might be those things. Again, if you're ignoring everyone in the body of Christ wholesale, if you're just thinking to yourself, no, I'm just like I'm not in, I'm not into any of this. Um, then go see see earlier, see earlier. What does it mean that you've been washed by Jesus Christ? But if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I, I need to get to know some people so that I can serve the body of Christ by washing feet. A small act of service like holding a baby on Sunday morning might ensure that a worn-out mom can sit through a sermon. Or what if that act gave her the opportunity to see Jesus and follow him more closely this week? The fo- serving the body of Christ uh, with our kids uh, with our kids on Sunday morning should not be dismissed. Those who have been through the parenting journey don't don't dismiss this out of hand. Don't believe that you've paid your dues. You know how challenging kids can be. Serve worn-out parents. You know, you might be giving, uh, you might you might be giving a husband and a wife their first opportunity in months to have some uninterrupted time where they can sit down and just think about what God is saying to them through His Word. Or consider someone who you might be, you might you might be able to serve through, through just doing some yard work or housework. The glory of the Bible says the glory of the young of young men is their strength. Use that strength to serve those whose strength is waning. Find someone in a season of life that is struggling to keep up and help them out with basic tasks. Consider someone in your community group that needs a friend, just someone to listen to them. And some of those small acts of service seem simple, but the reality is that those are the very things that lead to the type of feet washing that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Let me say this too. Do you want to serve others? Do you want to wash their feet? Do you want to do that which God has called you to in Christ Jesus in this passage? Just show up. Just show up. As Jesus has commanded us to love one another and wash one another's feet, you can't do it if you're not around, if you're not available. Don't let extended absences from Sunday morning or from community groups or with just anyone that you know here prevents you from following Jesus' command to wash feet. Showing up is just a huge part of this. In our culture, that's extremely mobile. Being present is something that we don't value enough. In order to love one another, we must know one another. So the goal here is to wash the feet of one another. We can't stop short just at those simple acts, but we must use them as a way to get into the into the life, to build trust in order that we might look at one another and help them navigate a world that is saturated in sin. We must always be ready to apply the blood of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, that in him we can be washed clean of our sin, that we can be that we can be made right with our, a God, that we can be set apart uh, set apart um, for good works in this life, receiving the adoption of sons, union with Christ and eternal eternal life. Those who have been washed by Jesus, wash the feet of one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how clearly this passage shows us how we ought to live as Christ's representatives in one another's lives. God, would we seek now, even in this time, even in the time that follows these very moments, to to build relationship with one another in order that we might wash feet, in order that we might help one another navigate a world that that is dripping with sin. God, would you give us the strength and the ability, the boldness and the courage to help one another not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, ready to speak the truth. We're ready to preach the good news of the gospel to one another and to ourselves with all, with consistency god we thank you and we praise you it's in jesus name we pray amen